This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and lately I've met so many people who are acting as caregivers for their family members. And I want to ask you, are you a caregiver for a parent, a partner, a child, or a loved one? Caregivers are truly the unsung heroes of the medical field, especially during these unprecedented times. Did you know that one in three unpaid caregivers in Canada are overwhelmed and under tremendous stress? Caregivers spend an average of 38 hours a week providing care, the equivalent of a full-time job. And during the pandemic, those who cared for loved ones found themselves wearing a variety of healthcare hats at home and often worked alone for hours on end, lacking support and sometimes even training. Caregivers are truly the backbone of the healthcare system. This week on Finding Your Bliss, we're joined by Dr. Sammy Winemaker, a palliative care physician who is also the host of The Waiting Room Revolution, a podcast about unlocking the secrets to a better illness experience. Dr. Winemaker describes family caregivers as an invisible care team, often left in the dark to navigate their roles. She believes that family caregivers need to be valued for their unique perspective on the patient which is why it's so important to hear stories like the one from our other guest, Darlene Crisley. Darlene Crisley is back again on the program. She's a writer, performer, and master coach. Darlene is also one of the many caregiver superheroes. Darlene's story in her caregiver blog revolves around her mother's dementia diagnosis and how Darlene has coped with the sudden shock and all of the ups and downs of being her mother's primary caregiver. She also talks about the unexpected blisses that she found along the way in the caregiving experience. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about my first guest. Dr. Winemaker is a graduate of McMaster University Medical School. She has completed residency training in family medicine and fellowship training in palliative medicine. Her clinical work is predominantly community-based, caring for people facing progressive life-limiting illnesses in their homes. She has been awarded the Dr. Ted Evans Scholarship for Excellence in the Principles of Family Medicine and received the Ontario College of Family Physicians Award of Excellence in 2010. She is an associate clinical professor at McMaster University in the Department of Family Medicine, Division of Palliative Care. She's an active educator and researcher with a passion for examining the interface between primary care and palliative care. She co-authored and published a systematic review on postgraduate palliative care curriculae, which informed new ways of teaching palliative care within family medicine residency training. She has held multiple leadership roles, including postgraduate curriculum lead, hospice medical director, regional palliative clinical lead, and medical director, palliative care outreach team. Most importantly, Dr. Winemaker is an advocate for urgent palliative care reform. She believes strongly that basic principles of palliative care should be the business of all healthcare providers and integrated into care seamlessly upstream in the patient's illness journey. She has bravely reoriented her clinical and academic work to help illuminate a more modern expression of the provision of palliative care. Dr. Sammy, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Judy. So, Dr. Sammy, being a caregiver can happen at any moment to anyone, and it's so crucial to understand not only the life of a caregiver, but also to empathize with how truly overlooked caregivers are in the media, especially during the pandemic. You've said that these unsung heroes caring for a partner, parent, or child are an integral part of the healthcare workforce. Can you elaborate on that article and tell us more? Yeah. Oh, I would love to. Um, you know, I am a palliative care physician, as you mentioned, and I work in people's homes. So I have 
uh, a very unique vantage point into the world of caregiving that most people don't see if they're working as a doctor in a hospital or other care setting. Um, So I see the trials and tribulations uh, every day of uh, caregivers. Um, I would say that Caregivers, I mean, when I cannot believe what caregivers shoulder uh, uh, at home. Of course, people come to the healthcare system and spend very brief amount of time uh, interfacing with the healthcare system compared to the time they spend outside of the healthcare system. And the team that's wrapped around the person is the family, the family that we call caregivers, but they're just the family. And often they don't even know they're the caregivers until, you know, someone labels them that, but they are truly the unsung heroes. They're the ones putting in 23.5 out of 24 hours of day caring for uh, people. And we don't give them enough credit for doing that. We don't give them enough spotlight. We don't give them enough respite. We don't give them enough um, financial support. Um, we, we don't give them enough of anything, quite frankly, not even enough information to do their role properly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So isn't it also your belief that family caregivers require training and support that they're lacking mentally, emotionally, financially? How can we change this? I do believe that. I believe that caregivers fall into their role without any um, job description. Um, They don't uh, interview for the role. They just happen because of circumstances to end up being the caregiver for someone. And, you know, it is as important for a caregiver to understand what they have um, stepped up to do, not just, you know, in the moment, but looking at the long view of what the caregiver is going to be asked um, to do it is really important. So I believe that every caregiver deserves a roadmap. Um, they have every right to ask, you know, the, the people that know the, uh, the healthcare teams, what is this role going to entail of me? Um, can you please help me understand as this person's right-hand person, what is this, what's, what am I going to be asked to do? What is the expectation in my role? What does this illness look like? What does this illness look like over time? What are going to be the twists and turns, the major bus stops along the route? A caregiver has a right to know that before they're in the the throes of uh, a big decision to make. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I've just been hearing so much about so many people um, helping right now aging parents with dementia. Our next guest, Arlene Crisley, is one such daughter who's been looking after her mother, tried to do it at home and eventually had to put her mom in a transitional home and how difficult that has been for Darlene. And I got this letter before your appearance on our show today, and I just want to read this to you and, and, and um, get some feedback from you if that's possible. She, the lady uh, wrote, my name is Annie. I'm a full-time caregiver for my husband. We've been married for 38 years. Mm-hmm. He was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis 32 years ago. His condition progressed from the relapsing remitting type to secondary progressive in the past 10 years. He now uses a motorized wheelchair. He is a positive and loving partner. Mm -hmm. We have a deep friendship and love that nurtures and supports us. The physical demands of caregiving have been very challenging. I'm considerably smaller than my husband and providing physical support has taken a toll on my own mental health. Physical health, she's saying. I'm I'm adding mental health because it has as well. Mm -hmm. There are also cognitive changes to respond to, also extremely challenging. My husband can take dangerous risks that lead to serious falls, which impact us both. Mm -hmm. It becomes hard to leave the home and not be anxious that something bad will happen while I'm away, even for an hour. Currently, we have three hours of PSW support each day, which is incredibly helpful. For some of these visits, I'm required to provide support. There is no break. I'm on 24-7 and have been for years. Burnout is real. I know that I need respite care and would love to hear about options. What can we say to Annie? Yeah, I feel for Annie, for sure. Um, You know, especially when I think about 
different illnesses have different timelines, right? And so Annie is referring to MS and in her particular situation, her husband's timeline has been very, very, very long. So this has been a long, long haul for Annie. Um, We know that often the person with the illness is able to adapt reasonably well often to the twists and turns of the illness, but the caregivers actually, as the illness changes, um, they become more and more and more worn, um, let's just say. So they do deserve to have respite and it's not um, as much respite when you're expected to be in the home when For example, a PSW is there to provide the support. It doesn't give as much respite as if if Annie could just go out for those three hours, but she can't. So I would say a couple of things to Annie. I would say, number one, having a really good idea about what these next chapters of MS look like are extremely important for Annie as the caregiver so that she feels that she has a view to how long this is going to be and what it's going to look like from here forward. Because it is like a marathon caregiver say without knowing where the ending is. Mm -hmm. Not that people are hoping that the end comes, but it is helpful to know that this illness has an average timeline of X and this illness has an average timeline of Y or Z. Every illness has an average pattern and timeline to it. For caregivers, it can be helpful to know that so that they can pace themselves, although Annie's deep Mm -hmm. into her journey at this point. I would also Mm -hmm. say that, unfortunately, these days, we don't get a huge break. We don't. Mm -hmm. As caregivers, we have to learn how to get sips of respite often instead of the big chunk of time. And that's just the reality these days. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation would be to look for those sips, whatever they are, and to take them often. And I know that that's very vague. Um, But I do know that there are also caregiver organizations that you can tap into uh, to try to find out where um, extra respite can be drawn from, a private hire respite, if at all possible, saying yes to friends and neighbors and families and setting up a week at a glance, you know, who's on first and who's on second. Most caregivers have to learn how to say yes when people offer. Can I just come and be with your husband while you run out? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think she's frightened that they just don't know enough about his medical issues and wouldn't be able to handle them. And so she's fearful. And that's the problem is it's almost like she needs a professional that you don't have to pay for. And not everybody has the funds to just say, okay, I'm going to go away for a week. Um, You know, I think in order for her to do that, that would cost something like $10,000 that she may not have right now. And, and then she still has to go in and afford the place that she's going away to for a week. Like, yeah, Isn't there something set up out there that can help accommodate this? I'd love to be the bearer of good news, but I I really think it's people's informal um, networks or, like you said, paid professional hire. But it is very expensive. I think I would ask Annie, what is her biggest fear? What is she most worried about? And has it actually ever happened? And having um, an action plan for the what-ifs. So taking small steps, like maybe just going out for half an hour and putting things in place like a lifeline or, you know, having her cell phone and really letting her mind wander over what are the worst case scenarios. Okay. And if they did happen while I was gone, you know, what could be a reasonable action plan and just playing those out in your head so that you can put them in place. Mm-hmm. I think the falling, the falling, she wrote, uh, my husband can take dangerous risks that lead to serious falls, which impact us both. He has fallen a number of times as, as she's written. So I think that's the fear is that he will fall. Yeah. And that can be very devastating to, to, to someone yeah. in his condition. So, but I, anyway, I thank you for great uh, food for thought and uh, wonderful just to get some ideas going. It's, it's really, really helpful. The other person on our show, uh, Dr. Sammy, is Darlene. And Darlene was talking about how difficult it was to move her mother to a transitional home. What do you say to people who are struggling with the emotional and mental anguish of having to decide, 
even though I had the hospital bed set up and it worked for three months, unfortunately, I it, it became too much for me. I wasn't able to give her what she needed. Yeah, what a tough decision people have to make. But I would say that I like to celebrate what people have done, like Darlene. Um, the amount of time that she has already put in and cared for her mom and kept her home is to be celebrated. Um, I know it comes with a lot of guilt when you have to change the place of care for your loved one. But sometimes I ask people to think about what would your mom say to you if she could see this moment in time and how much of a struggle it is for you. What would she tell you, Darlene? Would she say, Darlene, I'm okay if you put me, you know, in a facility? Um, Her mom would probably say, your life is important too, Darlene. And again, I would just celebrate how many years Darlene's already put in. Um, That's a huge accomplishment for, again, another illness with a very, very long trajectory of, you know, 10 to 15 years. Absolutely. So she's put in her time, Darlene. Yeah. Yeah. There's ups and downs. Darlene also said there's blisses. And I think I mentioned this in the virtual green room to you before the program that her mother also played the piano you know, in this sort of in the common area and played beautifully. And I mean, that's like a huge bliss. Yeah. You must see that all the time, the the ups, the downs, and that there's that, like, is it possible? This show is called Finding Your Bliss to find bliss even in terribly difficult and challenging times. I would say yes. Do you have an example of some something in your profession where you've seen someone where there's been a lot of downs and heartache and then there was just a moment, an epiphany and a moment of bliss? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen you know, what we refer to as just these beautiful silver linings um, in, the, in the midst of an illness, um, you know, relationships that um, have flourished, um, a wink, a smile, a kiss, a hug, um, you know, a picture. There's so many things. Uh, it, it's hard to convince people that when you're facing a progressive illness that there can be these moments, but there are. I've seen them every day, the courage, the bravery, the lessons that people teach the people around them when they're ill, um, the humility. It, it's incredible uh, life lessons that we learn from people facing illness and their caregivers too. Wow. I have to say you do, you really do incredible, incredible work, Dr. Sammy. I, I, it's sort of mind boggling what, what, what you do. You say that family caregivers are part of an invisible care team. Can you explain that term? Yeah. I mean, I would say that the patient usually is in the spotlight, the person with the illness, when they go to the healthcare system, the doctors and nurses focus on the patient and usually right beside them is someone who is very knowledgeable about that person but also is experiencing their own illness journey. And they're often in the shadows of the, and because of the busyness of the clinics and healthcare, they don't get the spotlight that they need. And they're a invaluable source of intel. And we could simply not care for people if it wasn't for the family layer, the caregivers. It would be impossible. Absolutely. You have a wonderful, uh, Dr. Sammy, Dr. Winemaker has a wonderful podcast as well called The Waiting Room Revolution, which is a podcast that helps unlock the secrets to a better illness experience. What does that mean exactly? The better illness experience? Yes. Yeah. That means we want people from the time that they're diagnosed with some kind of big illness to feel welcome to ask small, medium, and large questions of the healthcare providers so that they go through their illness journey, eyes wide open, able to balance both hope and the reality of the illness so that they can feel in control and feel like themselves and uh, recognize themselves throughout the entire illness from the beginning to the middle to the end. I meet too many people at the end of an illness who feel blindsided by what's happened and that they felt in the dark the whole time. So we have taken all the stories and we have reconstructed them for the public so that they can have these new skills and new mindsets right from the start so that they can get off to the right track. 
That's so incredible. I just want to say, at, speak to dementia for one more moment. So I've just, I'm hearing story after story. Um, and, uh, we have a relative as well in our family that is dealing with this right now. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to be with someone that might remember something like be able to sing a song, but not be able to remember that they had an operation or that they, something very serious has just happened. How do you deal with the, the, the heaviness? and the sadness for the children of a parent with dementia? Yeah, I'm. that's a good question. Um, so the benefit of knowing that the illness is going to unfold in a certain way compared to a car accident, mm-hmm. for example, is that families can begin to ready themselves as the illness changes that there is something to um, capitalize on when it comes to time and knowing. (laughs) So with dementia, it's an illness that spans years. And you can't imagine how people begin year after year, family members, children, to prepare themselves um, as they see the changes happening. They don't realize they are beginning to grieve, called anticipatory grief. And they begin to ready themselves and adapt to every change that comes their way. There is sadness for sure, but I'm big on people having information and understanding what's normal about this illness journey. What can we expect at the next twist and turn around the next corner? Because then you can celebrate where you're at now. So if I know in two years, my loved one with dementia is going to be like this, I'm going to celebrate today. (laughs) So smart. What a beautiful, positive way to look at this. I just love what you said. It must be hard for you. I know you're you're a physician, you're a doctor, but for you to sometimes separate yourself from the suffering that you're seeing, how do you do it? You know, I went into this field knowing what I was getting into. And I remind myself that these are not my stories. Uh, These are other people's stories. And I'm there to make them the help them be the best that they can be. And that is hugely satisfying more than it is sad for me. I can separate myself. Wow. Your patients are very lucky to have such a wonderful person, such a wonderful angel and beacon of light helping them. What is bliss for Dr. Sammy in the work that you do and in your life? You know, it's the energy that I get from being around brave, brave people. It makes me feel brave, to be honest with you. It's wonderful. I have to say, this has been so delightful and such an honor to have you on the show today. I want to thank you so much, Dr. Sammy, for being here. What is the best way for people to contact you, connect with you on social media, and of course, to listen to your podcast? So if they want to listen to the podcast, they can just look up The Waiting Room Revolution and listen however they normally listen. My Instagram is sammy.winemaker. And my Twitter handle is at Sammy Winemaker. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Sammy Winemaker, for being on the show today. Thank you, Judy. It was was delightful to have you. We're going to go on a short commercial break and more of Finding Your Bliss when we come back, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're now joined by Darlene Crisley, a writer, performer, explorer, and master coach. She is also the author of Conversations for Power and Possibility. Darlene is also one of the many caregiver superheroes. Darlene's story and her blog, 
caregiver blog revolves around her mother's dementia diagnosis and how Darlene coped with the sudden shock and all of the ups and downs of being her mother's primary caregiver. She also talks about the unexpected blisses that she found along the way in the caregiving experience. For Darlene's 60th birthday in 2019, she wrote and performed a solo show called Mama et Moi, exploring the complicated relationship between mothers and daughters and what happens when a daughter who has carefully kept her distance is called home to care for her mother who is suffering from dementia? At the end of the show, the daughter walks away from the call of duty. But in real life, that hasn't proved so easy. Spoiler alert, there will be a sequel. Darlene is working on some of these blog entries and turning them, transforming them into a show and possibly a memoir as well. Darlene, welcome back to Finding Your Bliss. So nice to see you again. Thank you. Thank you uh, for having me. Darlene, caring for your mother at home isn't something you chose, but it is something that was suddenly sprung upon you. How did that all unfold? Well, the uh, the immediate answer is I had just um, come home from the cottage in July and was enjoying some respite of summer when I got a text from my brother Tim. And uh, to paraphrase the text, it said... Uh, your brother Merv is in life on life support. Come and get your mother. Oh boy! And um, as it turns out, my brother Merv, who'd been caring for my mother over the last year, and had really made a lovely apartment for her in his home, and uh, had taken that on over the last year, um, had been out for a ride on his motorcycle just out to do some errands and someone ran a red light or a stop sign on a country road and plowed into him and so um, he was taken to the hospital unconscious and he was on life support and of course my sister-in-law left there caring for my mother and distraught and so my Brother Tim went up to get her and brought her back to me so that he could be helpful to my sister-in-law there. And that began my caretaker journey. And your brother very tragically passed away. And I'm so sorry, Darlene. You've had a lot of loss and I'm so sorry about that. And I just know that that's beyond. Thank you. He passed away 10 days um, afterwards. He was on life support and we had to make the decision and that's, you know, the emotional um, stress of the shock, the decision making and um, and then the what to do about mom. It was uh, it was a lot. <laughs> it, it, it is a lot. It was and it is a lot. Hmm. What has been the hardest part for you with your mother? watching her become diagnosed with dementia. This is your mom. Like this is the person that raised you and mm-hmm. was, you know, your your mother that was always going to be there and be strong. And to suddenly see this happening, what has that been like for you? That's such a complicated um, question to ask. Um, my mother has, was diagnosed several years ago. And so it's a long journey. You know, they call it the long goodbye and she had been, um, you know, first of all, it was just a few things, a little forgetful, and then increasingly um, got worse and worse. My father died about three or four years ago, also with dementia. Oh, and so it was the two of them together. And then um, after that, she coping on her own. She had the good fortune to be in a lovely place called Hearthstone by the Lake in Burlington. Um, so it was, it's like an assisted living, except that you can own your own condo and get all the services. And with the services provided there, she was able to cope. And then COVID hit mm. and then no visitors. And then you try and contact her by phone and she's not, um, you know, she can't really, um, she can wander off from the phone and not come back. Mm. So, um it's the the journey of little by little and thinking you're good and then getting a shock that says you're not. Terrible. And um, so there's the the little by little loss. And that's something that everyone experiences who has a, a parent who, who goes down that road. For me with my mother, the shock 
was um, was taking her on full time and having her in my home and being up close to that journey. See, I thought I'd um, dodged a bullet. My parents had been very uh, proactive and responsible at trying to set up a situation in which they would not be so dependent on their children. And then when that was no longer possible, my brother, who had just retired from nursing, he was a registered nurse in London, was offering to take her there. And so they created the home and she went to London and, you know, dusting off my hands from that responsibility, you know, keeping my distance, being a good daughter, but not the care. So the shock to one minute I'm on my own and then I'm driving up to get her, bringing her home, emptying out my office, getting a hospital bed, setting up the um, care. And all of a sudden I'm 24 seven night and day. And so the shock of it and having been, you know, having the kind of relationship that you like to keep a little distance from your mother, that was the really tough um, piece. How, how did you cope with that? Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm putting myself in that position and, and I think have a similar feeling to you. And I understand what you're, what you're describing so well. And I'm just wondering, how did you, like, did you know after day two, this is too overwhelming? I don't know if I'm equipped to do this or if I'm the right person to do this, or this is too much for me. Like, when mm-hmm. did you become, uh, when were you aware that this might just be too much at this stage of, of her illness? I knew it would be too much before she got here. And one of the things that I think you'll find from other caregivers is there was no option. Mm-hmm. There was no option. She was coming, so it didn't matter. Yeah. If it was too much or not, um, the Bible, I had a religious upbringing and the Bible is, is so much in me. And, and I said at the time, or what I wrote at the time was, um, I have come up with a mashup of two verses. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me and I will not leave you comfortless. And that is the push and pull knowing it was too much, knowing I was not equipped, not wanting to do it with any ounce of my body. And my mother, vulnerable, mm. bereft, homeless, and oh, and Lord. how could I not embrace and comfort her? Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the balance of trying to figure out. I've since become a wonderful advocate and, uh, and resource um, uh, sleuth, I suppose. So I um, grew tremendously to the capacity that was required to do this. But it was that tenderness of, I will not leave you comfortless, trying to hold her, be with her, comfort her, come to that place, and trying to learn the ropes, manage the system, deal with the frustration, deal with not having sleep, like these kinds of deal with having my whole life upended. Um, learn how to become such a great team with my remaining brother, Tim. And we have been just shoulder to shoulder and divide that um, work. And that's been what required. Um, So I knew from the beginning, but that is not an option not to do that. I think that's true from many caregivers. My brother, Tim, and I became so much closer through this experience of co-caregiving. Hmm. He came twice a week and and uh, and slept here with mom to relieve me. I ended up staying with him and getting to know my sister-in-law much better. So there, um, it really does take a team. And although I've been speaking for myself today, um, I do want to say that, that this was really something that Tim and I did together. Wow. Another silver lining, right? There's there's always one that you can find. Um, Dr. Winemaker was talking about that, and there's always a silver lining, and what are they for you? And I think you've just mentioned another one now. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mentioned to Dr. Winemaker that you had your mother with you for three months, and then you as a family made the decision that she had to go and be moved into a transitional home, which is often the case. And she said, but what most people don't realize is that Darlene has to celebrate the fact that she had her for three months in her care. Like that's that's already more than most people could ever do, would ever do, would have the capacity to do. And you did that already. And that and we and we don't do this with this kind of um caregiving. We don't celebrate the the wonderful things that have happened, the wonderful moments that you were able to do it. What was the, what was uh, well I'd love you to comment on that and then just tell me what was the moment where you said for her safety and well-being and health, she has to be in a transitional home. 
two things. One, I put her on the list for a transitional home and a long-term home before I even got her. I made the calls between getting the call and going because I know that these things, especially right now, they take months for someone to be placed in long-term care. Mm-hmm. And it took three months to even get her into transitional care. So I did that on the phone while grieving in the hospital, basically. Um, so because you can't wait for that, once you decide, it will be months and months before you can actually have someone um, transferred uh, unless they end up in hospital and the hospital can uh, have a little bit more uh, leverage. Mm-hmm. So that is the case. Um so that was always in play um, for me from the very beginning. And I like what Dr. Sammy said is that the gift then to me, although it was difficult on a day-to-day basis, the gift was being able to treasure and hold and be with my mother on this journey for this three months. And um, I remember another day that I, I wrote a little caregiver log, I just write them down, you know, as I'm feeling them, trying to document the experience. Tonight, I was snuggled up with mom watching a Lawrence Welk rerun before bed. I did a lot of that. (laughs) She asked me if she could stay overnight. And I said, yes, her room was all made up. She sighed and snuggled in closer and said it felt like home. Mm. There was another similar moment, you know, where were were there and I guess there'd been some kind of upset and and she there was another caregiver there and she looked at me and said I feel safe when I'm with you (laughs) I want you not the other caregiver I want my daughter yeah but it was you know there's a bit of that there is I want you there's this um we had uh quite often nightly I would go to tuck her in in bed and bring her her hot water bottle and make her all comfortable you know and And it would be the back and forth, you know, will you sleep with me? No, I won't sleep with me. I have a really good bed. I know it's a good bed. It's so comfortable. (laughs) You know, I would like that. I wouldn't like that. Yeah. So, I mean, she. I think she would have swallowed me up if she could. Mm -hmm. But um, therefore, the distance. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a wonderful thing to be able to be the one who's um, trusted, the one where in the midst of all of the loneliness of the disease she had me somebody asked if she was lonely when i didn't you know in between visits at the home where she is now Mm -hmm. and what i tried to explain is that the perpetual state of someone with dementia is loneliness Mm -hmm. because they're isolated from themselves their memories their identity their home their sense of where they belong and so to be able to be with her so that she felt home was just the most precious thing and the most guilt-inducing thing when it came to all the while, you know, making this a paradise for her and all the while knowing that I had the process in place to have her um, in care. Mm-hmm. Bittersweet. You, in your caregiver log, and I actually, all the ones you just read, I remember reading, um, but but in your caregiver mm-hmm. log, um you said before the show that there have been logs that have been the depths of despair where you've just been at your wit's end. And then there's also been ones where bliss has been allowed to shine through and and illuminate. Would you share just even just a short snippet of the worst day and then one of the best days, one of the blisses? Well, I won't share a snippet of the worst day here. Um, Basically, the worst day here is like, no sleep and she wakes up she has a sore back um it gets worse and worse so she can't get out of bed so you call the emergency and they wouldn't let me into a merge with her so my demented mother which what turned out to be a stress factor had to be alone for eight hours and emerge wandering around oh um with because no of covid support. because of covid because of covid and oh. not being allowed and not knowing what the diagnosis was and then having her come back to when she came, you know, she could move around. She just couldn't remember. But after that, she needed help getting in and out of bed, in and onto the toilet, all of these different kinds of things. The other worst of the worst is having her transition into long-term care. After here, because here I could protect her, here I could love her, here I could make her feel comfortable all the time. And that's not possible. Um, so here's the clip from a couple of weeks ago. 
When I went to visit mom today, I found her sitting in a chair surrounded by all her belongings. She said she was waiting for me to come and take her home. She'd emptied all her drawers and packed the contents in one big box and assorted, assorted shopping bags. Pictures had been taken down from the walls and were stacked neatly alongside the stacks of photo albums and puzzles. Even the sheets from her bed were neatly folded, ready for transport. I explained that she had booked in for an extended stay and it wasn't time to go home yet. She looked dubious and argued that in the meantime, there was no reason to go to the trouble of unpacking. She was tired from getting everything ready to go. I fed her sweets and ginger ale and slowly began to rehang pictures while she ate and we chatted. Then I moved on to the boxes and bags. She got engaged in telling me what should go where. By the time we were done, she looked up and said, it's a lovely room. You know, that's, um, you know, that's what happens um, now. So um, I think for, I, I said that it was, I think her life got about 50% uh, worse going into care from being with me, but my life got 80% better. And again, that's, um, terrible thing to um, think that that's what you're trading off. It's heartbreaking, this story, but you turned it around in such a wonderful way. You put up the pictures mm -hmm. while she enjoyed the sweets and you turned it around for her because she knew that she was in the right place and where she needed to be. And, uh, and so that actually, even though it's a story that starts off making you cry, uh, it, it has a very, very positive ending, you know, because you've, you, you turned it around and that's, that's incredible. I wonder if that's the coach in you. Maybe. I think somebody, uh, an actor friend said, it's my improv skills. <laughs> um, because, Dance in the moment, uh, right? Improv skills are the most useful thing you can have with someone in dementia. If you have, if you're a caregiver, go take improv courses because it will be fun. It will make you laugh. It will relie relieve your stress and it will improve your care. So, uh, absolutely. So I'll pass on that. Can you tell us the, the wonderful story? And I read this story about your mother playing the piano in the um, facility that she's in and, and just what that looked like and just paint us a picture of that story. Cause that to me is a blissful story. Yeah, it is a blissful story. Putting my mother into care. I, um, had thought only about the downsides and I hadn't, I had underestimated her. So in the um, care, uh, in the home where my mother is, there is a grand piano in their front lobby, which has not been played apparently for months since before, uh, since COVID, when their volunteers uh, program stopped. And my mother loves to play the piano um, and has been playing for so long. And so I took her down to play. And... Uh, we opened up the piano and she started to play all the old hymns that she knows so well. And um, the staff opened their doors and she started to gather a crowd of residents. And uh, they, they, she played and some of them would hum and sing along. And after we finished playing, she went around and worked the room <laughs> and went to each of the people who were listening and put her arm around them and patted them on the back and asked them about themselves. And they started to talk about when they would sing and play with their parents and their cousins when they were young and told their stories. And as I was walking her back to her room, she said, I was glad I was able to do that for them. Oh, my God. Now, she will not remember that she uh, ever did that, that she was there. She won't remember any of those people. But um, I thought my mother lives to serve. She was a minister's wife and a nurse her whole career. And when we were little, every weekend, she um, dragged us around um, to various um nursing homes and jails and mental institutions with her accordion, which she still has making us sing. And I thought, you know, my mother, for all of her limitations, has a ministry.
still. And in this place, she is ministering to these people. And since then, the rec people are bringing her down regularly, and she is the pianist in the lobby. And the staff, I walk down the hall and they say, how much, we love your mother's playing. It's just so (laughs) relaxing. And I thought, she, you know, yeah, they're caring for her, but she... When she was at my house, we were all looking for around, looking after her like she was a little egg, you know, like all very tender. And, and it was all, what could we do for her while she was basically sitting there? Mm-hmm. Now she's learning how to take care of herself and make friends. And she has, even with not a sentence worth of memory, I swear, <laughs> she has a ministry and of service in the place where she is. And I thought, so maybe it's better that she's here. Yes, yes. Who knows? That is the most wonderful story, Darlene. Thank you for sure. I, I want to read this memoir. I want to read your book and I and I want to see part two of your show because uh, it's really incredible. What is bliss for Darlene Chrisley these days? Um, bliss for Darlene Chrisley these days is being able to capture and savor the moments this blog um, that started out just a sanity right and to capture at the end of each day when i look back it it gives the whole perspective and being able to cherish it in that way is what's bliss um bliss for me and you know you grow and you serve till you die i swear to god (laughs) even with a sentence worth of memory And I guess that insight for me is bliss. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you for that story. It's so true because when you're in service, you're in bliss. And she's in service even in the situation that she's in. And that's the kind of person that you are. I see mm-hmm. where you've gotten this from. You've gotten it, I think, partly from your mom. <laughs> I just realized that. That's really incredible. You know, Darlene, you, you very um, intelligently asked us to reach out to people and ask them to share their caregiving experiences and, and, and what that's been like. And I want to, I just want to share Sandra who wrote in and she had all kinds of things about the ups and the downs, but I wanted to just share her unexpected bliss. And thanks for asking us to ask the question. She said, mom never lost her sense of humor. Despite everything, she laughs all the time. Because of the dementia, our daily chats, even during the thick of COVID, did not revolve around the news, case counts, or deaths. She did not even really understand or realize what was transpiring in the world around her. She was safe in her dementia bubble. It gave me the opportunity to not think about COVID for a little bit of time every day. Also, especially lately, Mum and I have spent more time talking about old photos and family memories. This has been wonderful. Her long-term memories are very much intact. And it's still so nice to hear her reminisce about the old days. It's also so very heartwarming to hear from the staff at the retirement home how lovely mom is. We know she's lovely, but it's nice to see others recognize it as well. It's so aligned to your with your story. It's um it's perfect, wonderful. Darlene, what is next for you? And what is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media? If they want to contact me, uh, it's Darlene at lifescapers.com. That is probably the best way. Uh, they can also look up Darlene Chrisley on Facebook if they want to, uh, to check that out. And, um, I'm very interested as I started to, to read this back about at least the second act of, um, Mama et moi. Because this has been, um, caring for my mother has been healing of our relationship and perspective in ways that I never anticipated to be possible. And so I think that the two bookends of that story are something really worth uh, telling and we'll see where it goes from there. That's wonderful. When, when, when it's all together, you'll have to come back on the show and tell us about it so we can promote it and let everyone know how they can watch it and be part of it. Thanks, Darlene. So I much will for sure. This has been so wonderful to see you and to hear us right. And for all of our listeners, just so you know, the person that taught me to be a coach, the person that I value the most, who was my coach, uh, is is Darlene Crisley. So I do really think that she's fabulous, so much so that everything I know, I think I practically I learned from her. So thanks, Darlene. Really beautiful interview. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to go on a short commercial break. When we come back, more with Finding Your Bliss. Back in a moment. 
Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And our featured artist this week is one of the most talented singers I know, and that is the beautiful and gifted singer, Michelle Newman. Michelle is also one of the most sought-after vocal coaches in town, and she's also the co-owner of the wonderful Triple Threat Performance Academy for students of all levels, Spotlight Academy, a really special and awesome place. Today, Michelle is singing us out of the show with her cover of Adele's song, Easy On Me. Let's have a listen. Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Wow. That was so beautiful, Michelle. I could listen to you all day. Thanks so much for being here. Each week, we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. Also, we want to hear from you, so you can write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. What did you think of Darlene's story? And what did you think of Annie's story? We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you need to get in touch with the Ontario Caregiver Helpline, they are always here for you. And you can reach out to them by just calling 1-833-416-CARE or 1-833-416-2273. In Bliss News, we're so excited to announce that we're doing a giveaway with Reverse Karma. Reverse Karma focuses on self-care and wellness as a lifestyle, not as a task. And their goal really is to combine traditional practices with daily rituals. And it can be so easy to get consumed with deadlines and schedules and just life itself that we forget to pamper ourselves and take care of our mental health and wellness. This is why Reverse Karma wants us to make sure to make self-care a priority, even if it's only for 10 minutes a day. They encourage their customers to make their products a part of their daily routines so that you can relax, rewind, unplug, and connect back to self-care. The giveaway is currently underway and closes on Wednesday, December 15th at 6 p.m. You don't want to miss this one. To enter, just go to my Instagram page at The Bliss Minute for all the contest details. We want to thank all of our guests for being with us today, Dr. Sammy Winemaker, Darlene Crisley, Michelle Newman, and all of you for listening. Thank you, everyone here at Zoomer and our Finding Your Bliss team. And of course, a special thanks to the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to acknowledge and support the caregivers in your life. They truly are the unsung heroes. And then let's all take one step closer to finding our bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.